Good morning. It is so good to see you. Sorry, I'm in a mood this morning. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Can't believe next week we finish our series through Second Corinthians. Those 13 weeks went by very quickly. Also, I want to remind you, next week at the end, during our last song, we're going to be having an anointing service, anointing those of you that want to be commissioned into serving the Lord, or if you're already serving the Lord, you want to be sort of recommissioned and confirmed in that service. We will be doing that next week at the end of our service. Today, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we are almost, I said, at the end of this series on Paul's testimony of his own service. And what we have discovered through this series is this, that being a servant of God is more about who we are than what we do. And we're going to see that very clearly this morning as Paul relates to us a personal experience from his own life. And when Paul shared this with the Corinthian church, I believe that this rocked their world. This information turned them upside down. And it might do the same for some of us in this room or those of you who are watching live stream this morning. First of all, I want to begin with this. A little background again. Paul was put in a tough spot at this point in serving the Lord. And that's good to remember. There's times where as we serve the Lord and, you know, doing it the best we can, that we're going to be put in a tough spot, okay? That's all part of serving the Lord. And here's what I mean by tough spot. God wanted Paul to continue to have a position of influence and impact in that church that even though he was not the pastor, that, that God wanted him to have authority to speak into that church, into the lives of those people, into the lives of the leaders, and still be used by him in a, in a position that would influence them. But as we've talked about, what happened was there was this group of people that were very jealous and envious of Paul. And they came into the church, and they sought to undermine Paul, uh, undermine his ministry, his service, and his influence. So here's why Paul's in a tough spot. He needs to defend not himself, not calling attention to himself and, and doing it for personal reasons. He needs to defend his apostleship. He needs to defend his place in their life and in the life of their church. Well, obviously, if he does that to a point, then they're going to accuse him of the very thing he's accusing them of, which is pride and arrogance. But if he doesn't do it, then he's going to be looked at by the church and the people in the church as inferior to these other people, this group, and therefore his influence will be diminished. So he's got to sort of cut a fine line here, and he does it brilliantly because even in relaying this experience that he has, he doesn't even basically say it's him. 
He just sort of talks about himself in the third person, like this person had this experience and whatever, because he wants to teach them a principle more than draw attention to himself. And we see that this dilemma has been created because I want to take you, first of all, before we get to chapter 12, to two verses. One in chapter 11, verse 5. Notice this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5. Paul says, For I consider myself not at all inferior to those super apostles. Those are the people that have come in and were jealous and envious of Paul and always were magnifying their credentials and, and all the great things that they are and, you know, all that. And then if you go over to chapter 12, verse 11, look at what Paul says. I have become a fool. You yourselves forced me to do it, for I should have been commended by you. For I lack nothing in comparison to those super apostles, even though I am nothing. See, the super apostles were those who, again, were all about what they could bring and who they were. And in a sense, they remind me a lot of what I would call our Christian celebrities today always appear like they've got everything together and they sort of just float above it all and rise above it all and, and never, never want to appear as if they have a chink in their armor or they struggle with anything or anything like that. And Paul's like, guess what? I'm going to drop something on you that I hope, Paul says, will transform the very environment and atmosphere of that church at Corinth because it's something that is so essential that every one of us as Christians learn and embrace, and especially if we're going to serve the Lord. And it is this principle, the power in weakness, being God-strong, not self-strong, or living in God's sufficiency rather than being self-sufficient. So let's begin in chapter 12, verse 1, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time in the first part of this passage, because I want to get to the crux of what Paul's talking about literally in the last couple of verses. But here's where Paul now begins to go as he sort of tries to, again, walk that fine line of, of needing to keep his influence in the church, yet not try to draw attention to himself or make himself look proud and arrogant as the super apostles have done. So Paul begins this way. He says it is necessary to go on boasting, though it is not profitable. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up to the third heaven. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard things too sacred to be put into words, things that a person is not permitted to speak. A couple of things. First of all, this was an experience that was originally intended to just be between God and him. And sometimes that's the way it is in our Christian life. There's some things that you and I engage in individually that's just to stay between us and God, never intended for public consumption, so to speak, okay? 
But because 14 years later, there was now this experience that was happening in the church at Corinth, I believe Paul was given the green light by God to be able to share this experience for the benefit of the people in the church at Corinth and for our benefit some 2,000 years later as well. Also, you'll notice that Paul's already beginning to share about the fact that it's okay that we recognize our limitations even as Christians. Because notice twice in verse 2 and verse 3, he says, I really don't know, but God does. I, I, don't, I can't even wrap my own mind around what happened and how it all happened. You know, sometimes as Christians, I think we're sort of intimidated by the fact that maybe we can't explain it all. It's okay not to know it all, but God does. In fact, it reminded me of a verse that Paul shared with the Corinthians back in the first letter to Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul said to them, Now I know in part, but one day I will know fully as I'm fully known. You see, he, he went on to say earlier on in that verse, he says, Now we look in a mirror, but it's indirect. He said, but one day we will come face to face. And what we don't know here, one day it will become very clear to us. So there's that limitation that we have. And Paul talks about that. By the way, I also want to mention this, because it does come up sometimes in serving the Lord, whether with non-Christians or even with Christians, that, and not much has changed, obviously, in human nature over the last couple thousand years, that there are those people that feel like in order to put themselves up, they've got to put other people down. And that's exactly what this group of super apostles were doing. They came into the church in order to elevate themselves. What were they doing? They were attacking and slandering and trying to pull Paul down. Maybe you've been on the other side of that as well. It, it's going to happen at times as we serve the Lord. So let's move on. Paul was caught up. He was raptured. Some people think rapturing is something God's only going to do at the rapture. No, God has raptured people and caught them up to heaven throughout the Bible. He caught Enoch up and raptured him in the Old Testament. He caught Elijah up in the fiery chariot. He caught the, Ethi or the uh, Philip up in the book of Acts after he talked to the Ethiopian and just planted him somewhere else. He caught Paul up to heaven. God has done this in the past and will do it to those who are still alive when Jesus comes back one day. Maybe that'll be you and I. But Paul basically says in verse 5, what I experienced... I was not only not permitted to, to say anything, but I could never have come up with the words to properly articulate it. Think about that to encourage those of you who've lost loved ones recently. What they're experiencing in heaven is so wonderful and so glorious, they wouldn't even have words to explain it to us. They're just up there going, wait till you get here. Verse 5, on behalf of such an individual, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except about my weaknesses, my human feebleness, my human frailty, my finiteness, my limitations. I have learned through this experience, Paul is saying, that it's okay to admit that we are weak. 
For even if I wish to boast, verse 6, I will not be a fool. For I would be telling the truth, but I refrain from this so that no one may regard me beyond what he sees in me or what he hears from me. Even because of the extraordinary character of the revelations, therefore, so that I would not become arrogant, prideful or haughty, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to trouble me so that I would not become arrogant or think of myself more highly than I should. So much here beginning in verse 7. So here's what happened. Paul, again, is relaying this experience third person. He hasn't come right out and said, this was me that was caught up and had this experience. But Paul says, here's what happened through that experience. God felt that this experience would end up being a detriment to Paul's Christian life and service to him. Why? Because God saw that this could be a real source of pride in Paul's life. And God knows how much pride will destroy our life with him and our service for him. I mean, even think about it all the way back to Lucifer. Maybe the greatest angel that God ever created. Why did Lucifer fall? Because of pride. Pride is like the number one detriment to our life and service for God. Why? Because pride says, I can be independent of God. I can be self-sufficient. I don't need God. I don't need anyone else. I can handle life and all that life brings on my own. And, and even if it, uh, you know, begins to get a little heavy for me or, or overwhelming for me, I'm certainly in my pride not going to let anybody else know that I'm hurting, that I'm struggling, that I'm having issues or whatever, because I've got to present to everybody around me that I've got everything together all the time. And Paul's saying, whoa, we are missing something really important here. You see, one of the things that this verse teaches us also is that God will work throughout our life to tamp down our pride. If he begins to think that we're getting a little bit too big for our britches, then God will do things to try to humble us because he loves us. And he understands that the worst thing that can come into our life is when we think a little bit too much of ourselves that we don't need to rely and depend upon him every moment of our lives and that we don't need other people, that we can do this on our own. We can buy into the, I did it my way, and I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. God will work against that throughout our life. And so God gave Paul a gift that's what the word means. The gift was a thorn in his flesh. Now, notice, Paul also refers to this as a messenger of Satan. Why? Because in a sense, Satan, who's always there as our adversary, sort of hanging around, seeing what kind of damage he can do, knew he could capitalize here, just as he did, I believe, with Job, back in the book of Job, that Satan goes, hmm, I'll give him this thorn, God. 
Because in Satan's mind, even though it's the same thorn, it's not anything different, that Satan was going to try to use this one way in Paul's life where God was hoping to use this thorn in another way. And many times that's true in our life as well. It's the same situation, same experience, same thing we're going through. It's just that God has one motive for it and Satan has another motive for it. And Satan's motive, if you'll notice there in verse Verse 7 was to trouble, or verse 8, excuse me. No, it is verse 7, to trouble Paul, to, to discourage Paul in some way, to distract Paul in some way. That's what Satan's motivation. I'm going to give him this acute irritation. I'm going to give Paul this acute annoyance. I'm going to give him some kind of physical ailment. And I'm going to hope that this ailment discourages him and distracts him from his service and from his life with God. Now, again, we know that God allowed Satan to do this. So ultimately, it's God who is giving Paul this because God said, I need you to learn something, Paul, and I need you to pass this on to others. And that is that I'm going to allow you to have this thorn because it's going to actually be a benefit and profit to your life with me and to your service for me. You see, Paul at this point only saw two options, as sometimes we do. Paul's two options that he thought of was, God, you take the thorn away, and I increase my service for you. Or, God, you let me keep this thorn, and my service is decreased. God is going to show him here, as we're going to see in just a minute, that there's a third option, Paul, that you're not thinking of. And that is that I allow you to keep the thorn, but that you live and serve God strong rather than you strong, you see. And that's where God wants to get all of us to that point. So, verse 8, Paul says, I asked the Lord three times about this, that it would depart from me. And can I say, God never chastised him for that. So, look, if you've got a thorn in your life, it's okay to pray to God to get rid of it. There's not a thing wrong with that. God doesn't say you should have never asked for that, no. But God does say, I'm the Lord, I'm the one who decides, and I'm telling you that I'm going to let you keep that, you see. Then that's where, as Christians, we need to go, okay, God, I will trust you, you see. By the way, you and I don't have to go looking for a thorn. The thorn will find us, okay? Our thorns will find us. We won't have to go looking for them. So Paul, again, the, why is he praying this way? Because in Paul's mind, the only option is, if I'm going to continue to serve you, God, at the level that I want to, if I'm going to increase even my service for you, the only thing I, I see is, you got to take this away. And God wants him to, he wants to open up a whole new world to Paul. He wants to show Paul, I can have you keep that, 
and then you learn to live with that for the rest of your life, which, ooh, that even starts to, right? Because there's some of us maybe even here today, and some of you who are watching today, who may, the, the thoughts of you having to carry whatever this thorn is for the rest of your life and never get rid of it until you see Jesus, that's not something you even, you don't even want to go there yet, right? But hang in there with me. God wants to encourage you today about that. So he prays the Lord that it would go. And, and, and here's what God's response is. He said to me, my grace is enough for you. My supernatural enablement is enough for you, Paul. Even if you keep this thorn for the rest of your life, in a sense, what God is saying is, I, Paul, God, am enough for you. My presence is enough for you, Paul. My power is enough for you. My friendship is enough for you. My smile is enough for you. My arm around your shoulder every day is enough for you. I will be enough for you, Paul. You need to believe that. Instead of asking me and dwelling on getting rid of the thorn, look to me. I will be enough for you every day for the rest of your life as you carry this thorn. And here's the reason why. Not just because God wanted Paul to learn to live not self-sufficiently, but God-sufficiently. He wanted Paul to learn to live by his grace, but he wanted Paul to understand something that Paul then would be able to pass on, not just to the Corinthians, but to every Christian, including even you and I who are here today, and that is that Paul, you're actually going to increase your service for me by continuing to carry this thorn. And here's why. Because a whole new world is going to open up to you. Your service is going to be enhanced because you have this thorn. Why? Because you're not going to be able to come across as if you've got it all together and you don't have any issues or problems or struggle. Because this thorn, whatever it was, was so prominent that Paul couldn't hide it. You know, sometimes like we have, you know, again, chinks, struggles, whatever, and we try to hide them because we're afraid if somebody sees this weakness in me, then, oh my goodness, no. And God's saying, look, Paul, you got to understand this. Every Christian's got to understand it. You're more relatable to others when they see that you're not perfect. And when they see that you're human just like everybody else and that we have the same limitations and feebleness and finiteness and all of those things that every other human being has, that makes us more relatable. I can't relate to a Christian who always appears as if they've got everything together and they have no struggles. I can't relate to that. I can't get on board with that. And we, even as Christians in the church, have to move away from our polished productions of celebrity and get real with each other and be in churches that are real and transparent and where we're not trying to come across as if we can't make mistakes or don't make mistakes and we don't have any struggles and we don't have any limitations and we know it all because we don't. 
And that's what God needed Paul to learn, and that's what God wanted Paul to relay to the Corinthian church, because these super apostles were just the opposite. They were arrogant, they were proud, they were independent. They came across as if you listen to us because we've got our act together and we don't have any struggles and we don't have any problems. We don't have any chinks in our arm and we don't have any limitations. So that's why you need to listen to us as your leaders. No. Paul says, I became a better leader. I became a better servant. I became more relatable to others when I was able to share and be okay with saying, I'm weak. And I need the Lord every moment of the day and every day that I live. And I need my fellow brothers, sisters in Christ, too. I need their prayers. I need their encouragement. I can't tell you as a pastor how it has grieved me over the years to hear Christians relay that they were sick for, you know, weeks maybe, or even in the hospital, or they were struggling with something emotionally or whatever, and they never let one other Christian know about it. No, that's not the way God wants us to live. God wants us to say, I'm weak, and I'm okay with being weak. See, this is the recognition that Paul had here. Notice God says in verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you or enough for you, for my power... God's power is made perfect in weakness. What's that mean? It means that God's power in our lives can only function at full capacity whenever we're willing to admit our weakness. Whenever we're trying to be self-sufficient or do things on our own apart from God and apart from our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, then we diminish the fuel of God that could be pulsating through our lives every day. We diminish the capacity of God's power by being independent and self-sufficient. The more you and I rely and learn to depend upon God, the greater God's power then takes over in our lives and functions at full capacity. And Paul's saying, I'd rather be weak to others and, and show others my weakness and yet be God strong every day. God's strong. In fact, nothing can stop a servant who has learned to rely and depend upon God's sufficiency. How can the world, the flesh, and the devil defeat a person who finds power in weakness? Can't defeat a person like that because the weaknesses are embraced. In fact, I love what it says next. So then... Don't miss those words. This is Paul's light bulb moment in the whole thing that happened, you know, obviously a few years back. But Paul had a light bulb moment when he got to that point when God said, my grace is enough for you for my power is made perfect or functions at full capacity. When you, Paul, are weak, Paul went, I get it now, God. Here's my, here's my recognition. So then... Paul says, I will boast most gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may reside in me. Paul says, without reservation, I will not be embarrassed. I will not be ashamed to tell you how weak I am, how many limitations 
I have, so that the limitless supernatural power of Christ may rest on me in order to help me every day of my life. By the way, this word reside in the Net Bible here, it may be another uh, word translated a little bit different, but that word in verse 9, it's only used here in the Greek New Testament. It literally means to rest as a permanent resident, not as an occasional visitor. So think about that. God doesn't want his power just to be an occasional, you know, on a stop. Like, oh, I'm, I'm, come, I'm going to do a drive-by, Jeff. Here's my power. Boom, now I'm gone. Because immediately after I get God's power, then I start to think too much of myself, and then I start to live on my own without God. So it's sort of just a drive-by. No, no. God wants us to get to the point where we become continually dependent and relying upon him so that his power literally rests upon us as the Shekinah glory of cloud of God rested upon the tabernacle or the temple in the Old Testament. That's the picture here that Paul is painting by using the word reside in me, that it's always resting upon our shoulders, if you will, to help us throughout our day, that it never departs from us. It is a permanent resident, not an occasional visitor. That's the recognition. Think about that. Maybe the greatest Christian who ever lived, many would say, Paul, said, you know why I was used by God as greatly as I was? You know why my ministry was so enhanced? It wasn't because I walked around in such great pride and independence and let everybody know how great Paul was. It was no. I learned to walk around going probably he had a limp, he couldn't see. He was probably a mess physically and, and many other ways. And Paul said, but you know what it did? It opened up door after door after door. Why? Because people saw Paul, how are you able to, to, you know, be so joyful and hopeful and have such confidence and boldness and strength in your life? And Paul would say, it's not me, it's Christ in me. And that's what opened up his life to be used by God in such great ways that you and I, many times as modern-day Christians, we miss because we live in a world that says, don't let others see when you're hurting. Don't let others see when you're struggling. Keep it all in. Do it yourself. You know, we're the do-it-yourself, you know, people now. And, and we don't need anybody. And we can isolate ourselves. And we can be independent. And, and we can come across, even if we are struggling, don't let anybody know you're struggling. Paul says, oh, we're totally missing it. We're totally missing who we need to be in order to be true servants of God. Therefore, verse 10, Paul says, I'm content with weakness. I'm content when I'm insulted. I'm content when I'm going through troubles and, and feeling the pressure. I'm content with being persecuted and slandered and pursued. And I'm even content with all the difficulties of life. In other words, Paul's saying here with the word content, I've learned to embrace reality. <laughs> I've learned to face reality. And I've learned to triumph over my reality, whatever that reality is, because God is enough for me. 
See, even in the church today, even amongst Christians, we've gotten so full of ourselves that, that somehow we've learned not to be able to deal with reality. That's how strong we are. See, we think we're strong, but yet we really don't face reality many times. We either create an alternate reality, we deny reality, whatever, because we're not strong enough to deal with it. That's where our society is today. That's why there's so many destructive coping mechanisms and, and other things out there that are destroying people's lives, and they're destroying their own lives because they can't handle reality. When you and I are weak in ourselves, but God's strong, then we can take on and triumph over any reality, no matter what it is, even like Paul, if it lasts for the rest of our life, and God never takes it away. God says, you'll triumph over that, and you'll show others. Paul, how are you navigating that? God's helping me, and God can help you with your problems too. See, that's how it works. That's how our service is enhanced. But if other people never see our weakness, then we totally limit the scope of our impact and influence in other people's lives. See, this is just the opposite of the super apostles that Paul was talking about earlier, which is why Paul says, they may be trying to make me feel inferior because I've got all these issues and problems and struggles and thorns and all that, but Paul says, I'm not inferior. I'll let God take care of all that, but I'm just going to learn to depend and rely on the Lord every day. Again, I will repeat this. How can the world, the flesh, and the devil defeat a person who finds power in weakness. You can't, you see. The very things that many of us would run from, Paul ran to and said, I embrace it. I've learned to be content with it. And here's the reason. If Paul had a light bulb recognition moment with the words, so then, in the middle of verse 9, he now, beginning with the word for, in verse 10, gives us the reason for it all. And these next five words are huge, my friends. Don't miss them. For the sake of Christ. Paul says, that's it. That's the reason for everything in our lives as Christians. That should be the reason for everything as we serve the Lord. Those five words, for the sake of Christ. In other words, Paul says, I'm content with weakness and insults and troubles and difficulties and limitations, all these things. Why? So that Jesus Christ can be advanced. So that I, through my life, can put Christ on display. That's the bottom line. That should be the primary thing in all of our lives as Christians. Not to put self forward. Not to show everybody how strong we are, because there's going to be a limit to that but to show everybody that there's a power that can operate in our lives as Christians that goes way beyond what we could ever do ourselves because God says, my power is supernatural. It's limitless. It can carry you through anything and, and all of that, and, and it can take you where your power can never go and transport you. God says, wouldn't it be better to be God strong every day than Jeff strong? And I'm learning that. I'm learning that. I hope you are too. That's the reason, Paul says. You see, 
for the sake of Christ. How can Christ be put on display in our lives? Well, it's not by portraying and presenting ourselves to others as if no problems, no struggles, no difficulties. I've got this. I'm doing this on my own. Where's Christ in that? Christ isn't in that. He's lost. But when you and I begin to open ourselves up and say, you know what? I'm struggling. I'm weak. I have limitations. But by God's grace, I am what I am. Then Christ is put on display. See, too often we want to save ourselves and our own reputations rather than promoting Christ. And Paul said, nope. I'd rather just let everybody see my warts and all that stuff so that they can also see my Jesus shining through me every day. For Paul says, whenever I am weak, then I am God strong. Then God's power takes over in my life. That's where it is, folks. That's where it is. See, if we really want to live and serve the Lord, we've got to get to that same place in our life where we say, I'm going to embrace reality, I'm going to face reality, and I'm going to triumph over reality, not because I'm pulling myself up by my own bootstraps, but because I'm leaning into God hard every day and I'm accepting his grace and his supernatural power is what is sustaining me and strengthening me. It is nothing about me. It is all about my Jesus. So today, here's what I want to ask. Would some of you in this room be willing along with me to say, I'm weak, God, but I want to be God strong? And maybe you already are, but you just want to say, God, I want to be more God strong. I want it to be less about me and more about the strength that you can give. And some of you may even have to come to the realization and be okay with that thorn being in your life for the rest of your life and living by God's grace rather than always wanting to get rid of it. And trust God that God knows what's best and that God knows it would be better for us to have that thorn and live by his grace and strength every day than for him to take it away. Because if he took it away, we'd be too prone to go back to living independently of him. And that's never good for us as Christians. And that's certainly not good for us to enhance our service for him. So I'm going to ask our worship team if they would come right now. Just sit tight for a second, because here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you, okay? I'll stand before you. I'll stand before all of you. And I will say, as your pastor, I do not pastor this church because I, Jeff, am strong enough to do it. There is no way. I don't have anything that it takes to pastor you people. If I'm able to pastor you at all and teach you the word and, and lead this church in any capacity at all and be of any profit and benefit to any of you, it's only because of Christ working through me. It's not me. And I'm okay with saying that. Because in and of myself, I have nothing. But through Jesus, I can have what I need every day. 
And God wants us all to get there. Where instead of trying to come across so strong, we say, I'm okay to be weak. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. As we sing this last song, if there are some of you that want to join me down here at the front, because I'm going to step off the platform and be just down there at your level where you are. Well, at least some of you. I know my height well enough. You know what I mean. If some of you would like to come and just acknowledge that too, like maybe I'm going through a really hard time right now. It's okay to say that. It's okay to say, God, I'm, I'm weak, but I need your strength. I want to be God strong today. Won't you come and join me here? And then at the end of our time together and our worship song today, I'd like to have a prayer for us who've come and, and for all of us today as we close our time in God's house today. What a great song. God, I look to you. That's where our strength comes from.